picture right here is one of my prized possessions that hangs inside my house at the front door so that everyone who leaves my house can see this picture. It's not a prized possession because it's worth much. It's not. It's, it's just a poster that I fell in love with that I got framed and matted. It's, it's one of my prized possessions because of what the picture is of. If you can see it, it's a picture of Jesus on the cross, but, but all you see of Jesus is the bottom of his legs. And then you see people at the foot of the cross, and they're holding hammers, they're holding nails, and they're looking up at, at Jesus. But they're not biblical characters, they're not Roman soldiers, they're not religious leaders, they're not dressed in, in biblical costume, they're contemporaries of us. They're 21st century people, young and old, black and white and brown, people in all shapes and all sizes. And and, and this picture reminds us that even though we weren't there, even though we weren't even born yet, each and every one of us had a part to play in the crucifixion, the death of, of Jesus. This morning, we're going to begin a new series, and we're focusing on people who were at the cross whose lives were dramatically impacted by Jesus. There are a lot of people at the cross that day that Jesus died. There were gawkers. You see, a crucifixion was much like a a, a circus event. If they sold concessions in that day, they would have been selling concessions because people would have come to watch the prisoners die. And on this day, there would have been a lot of other people there because Jesus had performed miracles. He had done incredible acts when he was living. And and so there were people there who were wanting to see if this miracle worker had one extra miracle left in his life. And then there were those who loved Jesus and the other people who were being crucified. And they were there to say their final goodbyes. They were there to let those who were being crucified know that they loved them. And then there were those who hated Jesus. You had the religious leaders who had been plotting to kill Jesus for a while and finally their plan had come to fruition and they finally came to that point where they believed that they had finally won the victory over Jesus. And then there were those who followed Jesus, his disciples. Some had been following him from the very beginning. Others probably started following him later on. They believed that he was the Messiah, the one who was going to come to free Israel. But now he was hanging on a cross. And they were wondering whether all of their belief in Jesus was in the wrong person. And then there were seekers. Those who were searching, those who were wondering if if this one who was nailed to that cross really could 
provide forgiveness for their sins. They were wondering whether this one that was dying really could bring them peace and a purpose in life. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to Matthew 27 as we begin this new series. And I want to set this up for you if I can. Jesus had just been arrested by the temple guards in the garden. He had stood trial before the religious leaders and they had found him guilty of blasphemy. At least that's the crime that they had come up with. They took Jesus to Pilate, who was the governor of Judea, who had the power of life and death. But when Pilate realized that Jesus was from Galilee, he sent him to Herod because Herod was the ruler of Galilee. After Herod questioned Jesus and mocked him and ridiculed him with his soldiers, Herod sent him back to Pilate. And that's where our story begins in verse 15 of chapter 27. Listen to what it says. Now, and it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. And so every year, the governor of Judea had the power to release one prisoner. It didn't matter who it was, what they had done. The governor could release One prisoner, any prisoner that the crowd wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's home that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife Sent him this message, leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released, for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas! Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him! Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water, washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. We And our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Then turning them over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. So Pilate released Barabbas. One ancient manuscript tells us that Barabbas was released, and then he went to Golgotha to see Jesus die. Barabbas is mentioned in all four Gospels, and yet Barabbas never says a word. We don't know how old he was. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know whether he was single or married or had kids. We're never told anything else about Barabbas except one thing. 
when Peter was preaching in the temple courts in Acts chapter 3, he said that you crucified Jesus and you released a murderer. He didn't even give Barabbas name then. But what we do know is that Barabbas was one bad man. Barabbas was one bad dude. Matthew describes him as a notorious prisoner. That word notorious simply means well-known. His pictures would have been in the papers. He was on the nightly news. Everyone knew who Barabbas was. He wasn't just some common thief. Barabbas would have been on the most wanted list. There's no telling what all Barabbas had done that we don't know about. Mark and Luke tell us that he was a revolutionary who committed murder. Barabbas plotted, he planned, and then he killed. Most likely a lot of people. John tells us that Barabbas was a thief and a robber. Barabbas was a hardened criminal. He had a rap sheet that could rival anyone that was in that prison. He was a cold-blooded killer. In our day, we would call him a terrorist. The bottom line is Barabbas was guilty. Barabbas not only deserved to be in prison, he deserved to be put to death. There was no sentence, no punishment that was too great for this man. That's the kind of man Barabbas was. Barabbas had no hope. He knew what was coming. Death was coming. A cruel, humiliating, public, painful death. And then he heard his name. And they took Barabbas from his cell. I'm sure he was thinking, this is it. It's time to pay up. My day has come. Now, when we look at people like Barabbas, we say they're getting what they deserve, don't we? I mean, they're evil, wicked, cruel, violent, vile, disgusting people. People like that, They deserve punishment. People like that, they deserve death. People like Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer is listed as one of history's most notorious serial killers. Others on that list include Jack the Ripper, Harold Shipman, who is known as Dr. Death, H.H. Holmes, who turned a Chicago hotel into a torture chamber in the late 1800s. From 1978 to 1991, Jeffrey Dahmer killed 19 young men. But he didn't just kill them. He cannibalized them. In an interview with Stone Phillips with Dateline News in 1994, Dahmer said this. He said that he believed that humanity was on earth by purely natural causes and death ended everything. He went on to say, if there was no God, then why should he modify his behavior? Why shouldn't he kill? Why shouldn't he cannibalize his victims? And he did. I mean, this man was vile, disgusting, evil, wicked, personified. He deserved 
death. Barabbas, for all the things that he had done, he deserved death. Those guys are guilty. But what we need to realize is so am I. I'm guilty. And you're guilty. We're all guilty. The truth is, each and every one of us are Barabbas. We may not be guilty of cold-blooded murder or armed robbery, but we're guilty. David, the psalmist, said it this way. He said, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me in the womb, I was already a sinner. The apostle Paul said, when Adam's sin, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Everyone. Have you ever wondered why it's so easy to sin? And it is, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to sin. It's easy to disobey our parents. It's easy to have bad thoughts. It's easy to say things we shouldn't say about other people. Have you ever wondered why it's so easy to covet, to be jealous, to be envious, to be greedy? Have you ever wondered why it's so easy for our eyes, our minds, to be drawn to sexual sin? Well, the reason it's so easy is because we have Adam's genes. When Adam and Eve sinned, it brought sin into the human race, and each and every one of us have been infected by sin. You say, what is sin? Well, sin is simply living life my way. That's what sin is. If I've ever chosen to live life my way rather than God's way, I've sinned. And listen, that sin may lie dormant for a while, but sooner or later it will reveal itself because we all sin. We all rebel against God. Understand, you're not a good person. You're not a pretty good person. You are a sinner. You are a rebel against your creator. Now, you may be saying, not me. Man, if that's you, if you're one of the people who are saying, not me, let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever put anyone or anything in a position in your life higher than God? For a moment, for a second, have you put a person or a thing higher than God? If you have, you're guilty of breaking the first two commandments. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? The word vain means empty. Have you ever used God's name in an empty way that wasn't intended to give him glory and honor and praise, which he richly deserves? If you have, you've broken the third commandment. Have you ever gone a week without taking a Sabbath, a day of rest, where you focus on God and give him the glory he deserves? If you have, if you've ever gone a week Without taking a Sabbath, you've broken the fourth command. Have you ever dishonored your parents by disobeying them, talking back to them, saying something against them? If you have, 
You've broken the fifth commandment. Now, here's what I think. Probably everybody in this room are guilty of breaking the first five commandments. We're already guilty of the first five, and we haven't even gotten to the last five. We are a sinner. Hardcore. And we haven't even talked about coveting. We haven't talked about lying. We haven't talked about stealing. Paul describes the human race this way in Romans 3. He says, no one is righteous. Not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is really seeking after God. We have all turned away. We've all become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Our talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Our tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from our lips. Our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. We rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery follow us. We don't know where to find peace. We have no fear of God at all. And then he says this. He says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone, every single one of us have sinned. And the truth is, from the top of our head to the bottom of our toes, we are filled with sin. And just like Barabbas, we deserve to die. We deserve the cross. The prophet Ezekiel said it this way. He said, the soul that sins shall, must die. The apostle Paul said, the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. We all are guilty. We all deserve the death penalty. But Jesus, Jesus on the other hand was innocent. Jesus was perfect goodness. He never sinned. Even at his trial, he was declared innocent time after time. In Luke's gospel, Jesus was declared innocent six times. Three times, Pilate said, He is innocent. One time Herod said he is innocent. One time the thief being crucified beside him said he is innocent. One time a Roman centurion said he is innocent. Don't miss that. We're guilty. We deserve death. But Jesus is innocent. The New Testament tells us this over and over. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Nathaniel said, Here is a man of complete integrity. The Apostle Paul said, For Christ, for God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin. The Apostle Peter said, He never sinned, He never deceived anyone. The Apostle John said, And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in Him. The author of Hebrews said, this high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testing we do, yet without sin. The wages of sin 
is death. But Jesus never sinned. Barabbas deserved to die. And yet he was set free. Jesus deserved to be set free. And yet he died. It makes absolutely no sense. Unless you understand Jesus died the death that was meant for Barabbas. And Jesus died the death that was meant for me. And Jesus died the death that was meant for you. The person who was clearly guilty was set free. And the person who was clearly innocent was condemned to die. That's the message of the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. The guilty are set free. The innocent is condemned to die. Listen, it wasn't Pilate. It wasn't the crowd that freed Barabbas. It was God's love. The Bible says, for God displayed his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died so Barabbas could be set free. Jesus died so that you could be set free. That day, Barabbas left Pilate's courtyard. He went up to Golgotha and he watched Jesus die. What was Pilate thinking when he looked up at, or Barabbas thinking when he looked up at that cross? We don't know. Did he forget that day? Or was that day forever etched in his mind? We don't know. When Barabbas left Golgotha that day, his life could have taken one of two paths. One, he could have said, surely this man was the Son of God. Several days later, he could have heard about the resurrection. He could have sought out one of the disciples who would have shared with him the good news of who Jesus was and he could have bowed his life to Jesus, surrendering his heart to Jesus and he was saved. That could have happened. But there's no evidence that that happened. Most likely, Barabbas left that day and he never looked back. He continued to live his life of sin thinking that he had dodged a bullet, got lucky, never realizing what God had done for him. And even though Barabbas walked away never to come back, Jesus loved him. And Jesus would have done the same thing over and over again. You see, that's God's love. And whether you accept his love and accept him as your Savior and Lord or you reject him, he would die a thousand times over so that you could have the opportunity to be forgiven and live the life that you were created to live. What about Jeffrey Dahmer? When that same Dateline report, Dahmer went on to say this, He said, I have since come to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is God and that one day I and everyone else will give an account to him. 
Jeffrey Dahmer, this serial killer, cannibal murderer, said he repented. He said he was sorry for his sins, profoundly sorry. He put his faith in Christ. He was baptized. He began going to chapel services. He said his life was changed. Did he deserve it? No. Did Barabbas deserve it? No. Do you deserve it? No. But that's God's love. Now, most of us are probably saying, I'm no Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm no Barabbas. So let me tell you about someone else. This little girl is one of the most precious little girls I know. She has such a tender heart. She had a desire to obey her mama and daddy. She has a desire to please God. I mean, she just wants to do the right thing. When there's injustice or something is not fair, it breaks her heart. That's the kind of little girl she is. But about a year ago, she realized that she was Barabbas. She realized that she was a sinner. And apart from the grace and the mercy of God, and apart from the fact that Jesus died in her place on the cross, she would die and she would spend eternity separated from her creator. So about a year ago, she asked God to forgive her of her sins. She trusted Christ. And her life has changed. That little girl, her name's Graceland. She's my granddaughter. And if Graceland needs Jesus, I tell you, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. Because I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. We're all Barabbas. What do you think Jesus was thinking when he looked at Barabbas that day? Because I believe he did. I believe that Jesus locked eyes with Barabbas. And Jesus being the God-man had the ability not just to look into someone's eyes, but penetrate into their soul. And he looked into Barabbas. And I believe that Jesus was thinking, don't, don't, don't. Squander what I've given you. Don't leave here without experiencing the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And I would think that Jesus is saying the same thing to each and every one of us today. And here's what I believe. There's some of us here who we need to experience that grace. Oh, we may have been in church all of our life. We may not have done any of these horrific, terrible things, but oh, we're a sinner in need of a Savior. And apart from us humbling ourselves before God and accepting his gift of mercy and grace, surrendering our lives to him, we have no hope. Jesus gave an invitation In one of the Gospels, he said, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. That's what Jesus will give you. 
No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're experiencing today, you can find rest for your soul in him. We're going to sing a song this morning and and our altar is going to be open for the first time in over a year. So what I'd like for you to do is just, if you feel led, come to the altar. Just pray. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you pray where you're at. And ask God to give you the rest for your soul that only he can. I want to pray with you. Father God, work in our hearts. Bring rest to our souls today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.